our last time together, two weeks ago, in our last look in the book of Philippians, we looked at the first opening verses, just the first five opening verses. We spent our time looking at the background of this church that Paul so clearly loved. He had a special place for this church inside of his heart. We looked at his missionary journey, how God had closed door after door in order to actually help direct him. God was directing him through closing doors. We looked at some of the first converts of the church and how they were incredibly different in their background and their experiences. They, they ranged from upper class all the way to prisoner, prisoner. Um, they, they were completely different, but they had one thing in common, which we also have in common, is that our common faith in Christ, which binds us together even still today as a congregation. Now, it's common in this faith that we all individually are under attack from the enemy. Every single one of us. Uh, we go out on our lives, we leave this place, and we are under attack from the enemy. And unfortunately, he looks for any crack or any place where he can wedge his foot in the door and try to get into our lives. And it's only if we as a church, when we focus on our differences, he gets in. But when we focus on our similarities and that common unity in our faith in Christ, we stop him. And we keep him from getting in and creating division within the church. We have different generations in this building. We come from different states. We have different jobs. We have different generations. We have different, uh, as you could continue on for all day long for the differences in this one room. But we have one thing in common, just like that church in Philippi, that common faith in Christ. And this faith is where we build everything upon. Everything is built upon this common faith. He is our foundation. He is our cornerstone, and he's the rock on which we build absolutely everything. He has to be. It's because of this very faith in Jesus Christ that we learn to become something entirely new, completely different. Now, in my own experience, I don't know about yours, but I was raised to believe that uh, we should be evolving as a species. We are evolving from one species to another. It's the survival of the fittest was my schooling through a public school. And I was taught that I was supposed to put myself above absolutely everybody else at all times. I was self-centered in all reality. That's what I was taught in my, my, my upbringing. Jesus teaches a completely different view, a different mindset, something earth-shattering from that worldview, that we should be looking out for others, for each other, and the way that we were originally intended to. Now, he was once approached by a lawyer who was trying to trip him up. The, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they didn't like what Jesus was teaching, and they were trying to get him to say something so they could say, ah, this guy's a false teacher, don't listen to this guy. So a lawyer comes up, because lawyers are pretty smart, they've got those fancy degrees, like Michaela's pursuing after, one of those fancy degrees, right? <laughs> the guy comes up and he says, hey, uh, which is the greatest commandment? Because clearly Jesus is going to, uh, you know, he, if he says one thing, he could be wrong in the other ones. And so Jesus' reply is he says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's my paraphrase of what Jesus said from Matthew chapter 22. Love God and love neighbors as yourself. Paul would later paraphrase this very same saying. He would paraphrase it in our memory verse here. He says these words in our memory verse. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Paul liked to expand a little bit. If you ever notice, Paul kind of gets a little bit wordy. Jesus said, love others, love God. Paul's like, here, I got a whole book that you can write on. So he goes in, he says, let each esteem others as better than himself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also for the 
the interests of others. Now, now this is a lot of words, and we're going to actually be working on these ones different than we've worked on other verses in the past. And we're actually going to just start with looking at verse 1. So the first verse, uh, 2, 3, let's say this together. I've broken it down. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. Perfect. That's great. Philippians 2, 3. So we're going to start by looking at just the first verse. And then after we've had some time, we're going to go to the second verse. And then we'll kind of combine the two together through our process here. Today, we're going to continue our walk through the book of Philippians. We're going to be picking up right where we left off last time. So you'll want your books open if you've got your Bibles. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. Now, our title today is My Prayer for You. Paul is praying for these people. They're constantly on his mind. And so he talks about how he prays. And we're going to go over three points, just as normal. He's going to go down memory lane first. Then we're going to do knowledge and wisdom. And then finally, healthy patterns, stuff that we can take away from him and apply to our lives even today. So first, it's memory lane. So last time we were together, if you remember, we covered the first days of the building of the church. We looked at the background of what Luke had actually recorded down in Acts chapter 16. He was there as a personal witness of these events. Now, if you were with us, you may recall that Paul and Silas ended up in prison. They uh, ended up in prison because they had healed, uh, through God's power, a demon-possessed girl. And so charges were brought against him. They were tossed in jail. <laughs> Now, as a result of their time in jail, we know that at least the jailer, the man that was in charge of that jail, was led to Christ. We know for a fact that he was led to Christ, and Paul said, your family is also saved because of this as well, which means he was going to bring the gospel into his own household as well afterwards. Now, we also learned that the book of Philippians is one of Paul's four prison epistles, okay? So he wrote it while he was in prison. So he writes this one when it's in prison. So we have to keep that previous experience in mind as we're looking at this. So he's been in jail before, he's in jail again. In our first verse, Paul has just said that he thanks God upon every remembrance of the people. In fact, these are his exact words. I'll toss them on the screen. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul says that he is constantly praying for these people every time he remembers them. Now think about it for me with just a moment. Have you ever revisited a place and it brought up memories? Um, for example, recently Alicia and I have had to spend some time in Vermont several different times going back. And I'm back in my old stomping grounds where I was raised and all of a sudden memories come flooding back to me. Things that I had that long forgotten, all of a sudden you're remembering, oh yeah, we used to do that, oh yeah, we got in trouble for that. I mean, you, you ever have a place that just brings back memories that you thought you had long since forgotten? Now, Paul is in prison. He's been in prison before. And so if he's anything like me, the joy of these memories must be coming back to him because of his last experience. If you remember last time, what happened last time he was in prison was quite a joyful experience. And he pens these words, okay? So he's probably remembering last time he was in prison, and he pens these words right here as he's continuing in the next couple of verses. Being confident of this very thing, that he, speaking of God, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think of you all, because I have you in my heart, and as much as both in my chains and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace, 
For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. So Paul's probably looking at the stones that build this prison. Feels kind of familiar. I remember last time I was in a prison, they kind of look. He's feeling the chains upon him, just like last time. He smells the smells that are probably all too distinct in a prison. Remember last time he was shackled in such a way that he couldn't get up to go to do anything. And he probably starts thinking, I remember last time, and probably starts chuckling to himself, most likely, because of the experience last time, and how his prison sentence ended because God sent an earthquake and unlocked everything, and most of the people ended up getting saved. That's quite a good memory. So you find yourself in prison again, and he's probably chuckling, I remember how this ended last time. I wonder how it's going to end this time. So he's probably thinking that through. And the reason why his confidence isn't shaken is because he knows God is still working even though he is in prison chains. He can't go anywhere. And so there's a topic that Paul seems to cross a lot in his writings. And he's saying that God is not limited by our circumstances. God is never limited by our circumstances. And it can't be understated how matter grave our situation can feel. No matter how useless we feel, no matter how stuck we are, when you try all that you can try and you get nowhere, when you, when you start saving, you put money into savings and all of a sudden something breaks down and then wipes out the savings account, you're like, I can never get anywhere. I try again and again. When you make a plan to, to have a good healthy diet and then all of a sudden you have not one, not two, three, four birthdays in a row followed by a holiday week, Where's my diet plan? And you feel like you can get nowhere at all. Whatever your circumstances may be, God is not constrained by your limitations. And this is incredibly important for us to remember that his effectiveness is not limited by our situation or even by our wealth. It's not limited by our health or how much faith we have. Have you you ever thought to yourself, well, if I just had a little more faith, maybe God would, and you can fill in the blank, maybe, maybe if I could just follow God a little bit better. Jesus understood our tendency to underestimate the power of our faith, no matter how small it was. And he told his disciples one time, he said in Matthew 17, 20, so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. He's talking to the disciples, the guys that have been with him for some time and watched him perform miracles. And he's turning to them and he's saying, because of your unbelief, since you guys aren't getting it, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move to here to there, And it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, it seems to me as I'm reading this, it's almost like, this is my tongue-in-cheek version, it's almost like the guy who created us knew that we would struggle in this area. Did anybody else get that idea? Like, our creator knows our faults and he's like, I I know your faults explicitly because I created you, so here's a reminder because I know you're going to struggle here. He knows that we will struggle believing in ourselves at times. And he knows that we will struggle and that we will need someone else to step in. And only he can to help us. He needs us to know that not now nor ever has there ever been a limit in his power or what he can do. And we are not his stumbling block. We don't stop God from being able to move or alter his plan. And that, my friend, is some incredibly amazing news that we each need to take care of holding on to. And Paul has found himself in prison once again, and he's saying to his friends, don't be worried about my situation. Don't, don't shed a tear over my situation. I'm not worried by them. And more importantly, God is not hindered by them. And he's saying, don't worry about this. 
Uh, God's got this. He's got this under control. He says, keep your confidence that God will complete the good work in you that he's already started. And the fact that his congregation that he once helped out would still continue to grow, continue to give him faith, knowing that God was still working despite his own personal limitations. He knew that God's work was still going out and that the future of the gospel was still moving forward even though he was in chains. And he took great comfort in that. So point number two today is knowledge and wisdom. So clearly Paul considered the church at Philippi his spiritual children. He, he, he knew them. He had brought them to faith in God. He longed for their growth and he cared for them deeply. Now, by verse 8, okay, just the first eight verses, he's already mentioned four times how much he's remembering them. He says it every other verse, so the first eight verses. He's thinking them, and he's praying for them. And this is what he tells them has been in his prayers lately. He says, I'm thinking of you, I'm thinking of you, I'm thinking of you. This is what I'm praying for you. And he says these words, and 9 through 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound. Still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. Now, it may sound a little bit different, but I have found that we can become an encouragement to people, not just by praying for them, which we should be praying for those that we regularly are in contact with and those who God lays upon our hearts, but we become an encouragement when we tell people that we've specifically been praying for them. Has, has ever, have you ever experienced that? Someone has told you that they've been praying for you specifically and you felt encouraged. Anybody ever had that happen before? We become an encouragement by telling others, hey, I've been praying for you. I've been praying that God would do this in your life. Now, Paul here is saying, I have been constantly praying for you. And he's trying to be an encouragement to the church at Philippi. He's writing them back and he's like, look, despite my circumstances, my sole focus is your growth and I've been praying for you day and night. He says, I've been praying that you will grow in knowledge and in discernment. Now, you want to know what? Alicia and I regularly pray for this church. We pray for the general direction of the church and we pray for each member specifically as God brings us to mind. And as a pastor and as a father, these are the types of prayers that I'm constantly praying, both for the church and for my children. These are the kinds of prayers that are on my lips constantly. The first thing that Paul mentions in his prayers is this continual request that their love will abound. Now, unfortunately, in the English, we've got some weird definitions and we use it funny. So, Love can be a little bit fickle for the term, but the way he's using it is the way that Jesus used it when we first referenced him and said, love God and then love other people as yourself, as your neighbors, as yourself. So this is the kind of love that he's referencing to. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been to church in seven different states, and there is a common factor in all seven states worth of churches, and I've been into multiple churches in each state. Every time I go to a church, if you've been there for a while, and maybe this is my experience, maybe not yours, um, when you get to know the people, there's always one or two believers that are um, more difficult to love than others. Have you ever, ever been to a church? Probably not in this church. I mean, obviously in this church, you guys are solid, mature, growing Christians, and everybody here is easy to love. But in my experience in the other states, I've ran across a couple of people. In fact, some of the people that I've had a struggle to uh, love correctly uh, are what have been my neighbors and my co-workers who happen to be Christians as well. And what's interesting is that when Paul said that he prayed that our love would abound, he knew 
He knew that our capacity to love one another would always have room for growth. When he says, I want your love to abound, he's like, uh, no matter where you're at, no matter what walk and stance you're at in life, you still have the ability to grow. You can, you can still have more of a capacity to grow in love. And I think that Jesus knew that this would be a constant struggle for us. Now, that no matter how close we thought we could be fulfilling his command perfectly, we thought we were doing a great job, we'd always have room to grow, to become more like Jesus, to become more like him, how to love God and to love others perfectly. Now, Paul continues on his uh, sentiment that his prayers, and he also is praying that the church would grow more and more in knowledge or in discernment, or a better word for discernment might be wisdom. Um, now, we all know the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? You've probably heard the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. You ever heard that one before? Well, as funny as that may sound, the reality is knowledge is simply information. It's the correct facts, while wisdom is the correct and timely implementation of those facts. There is a slight difference. Knowledge is facts. Wisdom is how we use those facts and using them correctly. Now, I had a, a friend in the Marine Corps. Uh, he was the best man at my wedding. His name was Joe, still is Joe. I mean, I don't think he's changed it. Uh, and he's from Alabama. Now, academically, Joe was a simple man. Uh, let's put it that way. Joe was a simple man. And, and Joe had a, a strong southern Alabama drawl, which made him interesting to, to listen to at times. But there was nothing academically spectacular about Joe. He, he hadn't achieved any, anything amazing on paper. However, while he didn't have book smarts, Joe didn't have a deep factual knowledge. He had great wisdom in his approach to life. With Joe, he would always figure out a way out of a situation. He would figure out how to fix anything. So one time we were about to go on leave and a friend of ours, his car, his windshield wipers were no longer working. And in the military, if your car doesn't work, you don't get to go on leave and leave the base. So Joe, uh, being the wise man that he was, found a squirt gun some duct tape and a hose and figured out how to make the boys' uh, windshield wipers work well enough so that it could pass inspection. Yes, Joe was that kind of guy. When we were in Iraq heading up towards Baghdad, the Hummer belt broke and between duct tape and pantyhose from one of our lieutenants, he fixed the belt and continued on another five miles. Joe was the kind of guy who didn't have book smarts, but he could figure out how to fix things very quickly. Now, on the other hand, I had a lieutenant. He was a second lieutenant, and he was one of our officers in our platoon. He had gone to college. He had received a very good education. He was a very bright man. Uh, he, he had more knowledge in him than a small library. He came from a, a family that had, well, uh, it had means. And the unique part of this lieutenant of ours is that he would always misplace things. Um, and so when we were driving around base and we were doing our operations and we were practicing out in Camp Lejeune, we would tell him which way to go through the woods because we went four-wheeling in those woods during our off hours. And we're like, you got to go down this way. And he's like, no, you are uh, lower rank and I'm not going to listen to you. So occasionally, once or twice, um, five times, uh, our unit was temporarily misplaced in the woods in North Carolina because he didn't quite know exactly where we were in our grid coordinates. To add to matters worse, he takes this... Uh, 
quirk of his uh, personality, and we go over to Iraq. And we're going from Kuwait City all the way up to Baghdad. And uh, he has a tendency to lose things. Very smart man, just, just never knows where anything is. You ever notice that smart people just have a hard time keeping uh, track of all their stuff? Well, one of the things that he lost was our GPS unit, which had all of the coordinates of our entire battalion and where they were going on their course to Baghdad, which means if it fell into enemy hands, would endanger the lives of over 800 Marines. He had a completely different approach to life. And Paul was praying for his spiritual children that they would not only grow regularly in knowledge, that they would have the smarts, the book smarts, but they would regularly learn to apply that knowledge. He wanted them to apply the knowledge that they were learning. He wanted believers to be regularly reading and memorizing God's word and then applying it in their lives. Don't just read the word, but apply it as well. Now, that probably sounds familiar because the author James would later say, be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's not enough to just simply gather knowledge as often in all reality, very religious people do. They gather a lot of knowledge. But it's expected of us, clearly from Scripture, that we take this information and we apply it regularly. So we should take information, we should apply it to our lives regularly. It's what he's expecting. We should let what we have committed to memory to change who we are, to look more and more like our Savior each passing day. And that brings us to our final point, healthy patterns. So Paul has prayed for knowledge and for wisdom. And not only does he ask for these two things, but he says why he's been praying for them. So he actually backs it up and says, this is what I want to see out of your lives. I want to see knowledge and wisdom, and these are the effects of that knowledge and wisdom in your life as you pursue them. Let's read his words. He says, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul says that the purpose of gaining knowledge and applying it correctly, um, not just having facts, but using those facts wisely, should give us a threefold outcome. He's just listed it. So I'm gonna put it out in bullet points we're gonna work our way through. That we should be able to approve that which is excellent, that we should become sincere and are without offense, and that we become filled with the fruits of righteousness. Don't worry, they're gonna disappear, but they're all gonna reappear. So here we go. That we should be able to approve that which is excellent. Now, have you ever wondered what the will of God is for your life? I think maybe at one point or another, we all wonder, God, what are you doing? What is your will for my life? Have you ever come to a crossroad where two paths are laying before you and they both seem to be okay routes to take and you're not really sure? I'm like, these are both okay routes. Unfortunately, the Lord isn't gonna send an angel and goeth that way. He's not gonna tell us that. It's not gonna all of a sudden come up, tell us where to go. He expects that we should apply what we are reading, what we've obtained in a correct manner. So to better know God, we have to read his word and we have to talk to him regularly. We get to know him by reading what his heart is. And he's, this is really a love letter to us and we can get to know his heart and what he would do. If you've been married for any amount of time, you probably know this. I know what my partner would say. My spouse would do this. You can do that in their absence when they're not there. Men, always take great caution when you're saying, I know what my wife would do because nine times out of 10, and my experience, hopefully your experience is better. Um, but when you've been around someone long enough, you start understanding the way that they would react. And that's what God wants out of our lives. He wants us to be around him so much, to talk to him so well that we have knowledge and discernment and we can determine what his will is for his life, for our lives, even without his audible voice. 
Now, the second thing that Paul says is that we are to become sincere and are without offense. Unfortunately, as you probably all too well know, the church has a long history of being known more for what it stands against than what it stands for. Have you ever noticed that when in the middle of an argument, the person who's yelling the loudest typically is the person that doesn't know the facts. They're just trying to be more right. When we know where we stand and why we stand there, we stand in the knowledge of truth and we can let the truth speak for itself. We stop trying to control everything. We start letting God defend himself. God can defend himself. Remember, he works in hearts in a way that we never can. Our argument will never work in a heart the way that God can. Let him do the heavy lifting. Share with him your burdens and trust him for the outcome. Third point that Paul says is that we become filled with the fruits of righteousness. Now, in the book of Galatians 5, and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. Galatians 5, and 23. Ultimately, these are character qualities that God is trying to call out of each and every single one of us. And now the analogy of the fruits of the Spirit is actually quite applicable because not all fruit blooms at the same time. Right now, blackberries are everywhere. A couple of weeks ago, it was raspberries. In June, it was strawberries. Fruits bloom at different times. And that's great because we're all at different places in our lives. And as we're walking through these different character qualities found in Galatians chapter 5, will slowly come out of us. God will call them out of us as we're growing in deeper character with him. Today, we have looked at several ways that we can each be encouraged in our daily walk with Jesus. We saw how Paul was imprisoned in body, but he, through remembrance of those who were out and still continuing the work of gospel, found great joy. Maybe most importantly, we looked at Paul's prayer life and we saw how he prayed for others specifically. He wanted them to know that he was praying for them. He didn't just want the people to be Bible smart. He wanted them to be well-rounded, to apply their knowledge and to pass it on. Now today, I'm going to end completely different. Normally, I ask two questions. So today, I'm going to end with an encouragement and then a challenge. I'm going to change things up a little bit. See how this goes. Okay, today my encouragement is God is not limited by what you lack. God is not limited by your possessions. He is not limited by how little time you have. He's not limited by how much faith you currently have. No matter how desperate your situation may be right now, he is still 100% in control. He always has been, always will be. God is not limited by what you feel you lack currently. So that is my encouragement. My second part is the challenge. If you've been praying for someone, let them know. If you've been praying for someone, let them know. Not to boast in what you have been doing, to try to grab all the glory for yourself, but to be an encouragement to them. Paul once said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He told people that he was praying for them specifically as he had already been praying for them. He says, I have been praying because he was following up. So he's telling the truth. He reached out and he became an encouragement to those around him today. Will you reach out to somebody and be an encouragement as well today? Let's close in prayer. Father, I do thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the encouragement, knowing that you are 100% behind us and you can, especially when we cannot. So, Father, I ask that we trust you as we move forward in these days ahead. Lord, I ask that you help guide and direct our steps. Help us to be a body of Christians that not only read your word, but actively apply what we are learning. Help us to be so in love with you 
that we know the decision that you would make even when we feel like you're not standing right next to us. Help us to be like a good old married couple that always knows what the other would say. Father, I ask that you continue to grow each and every person here. Help us to trust you more and more. Bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. I do pray that these are helpful for the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the Word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We are told by Scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's Word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoyed today's message.